You're listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. We offer ideas to make your tabletop role-playing games even better. The Helpful NPCs podcast is not safe for work. Our immaturity is matched only by our vulgarity. You can check us out at helpfulnpcs.com or contact us at info at helpfulnpcs.com. Okay, welcome to Chapter 5 of the Helpful NPCs podcast, Loot and Plunder. This chapter is divided into three parts. Part 1, we're going to discuss money and how to use it in paper and pencil role-playing games. Part 2, we're going to discuss loot, how to manage your ill-gotten inventory. And in Part 3, we're going to discuss our Pack Mule homebrew class which we are currently releasing a playtest for that we hope everybody takes a look at to see if they want to play in their own games. So part one of chapter five is money, money, money. As an introduction to this, let's talk about some of the core conceits of Dungeons and Dragons. Dungeons and Dragons is whether you prefer to play your games in this way or not. The default assumption of Dungeons and Dragons, the core conceit of the game, is that it is a fantasy setting in which the American dream is actually real. It is a rags and riches story where you start with poverty and no power, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, and end up wealthy and powerful. And it is not an accident that wealth and power are tied to each other in the game. As your character gets more powerful, you get more spells, you get more cool magic items, you also happen to get more gold pieces that you have to carry out of the dungeons. Or you get experience for getting those gold pieces and directly increase your power that way, as is proper in proper editions of the game. Well, that's not the current edition of the game whatsoever. And what you have to remember is, in that rags-to-riches, American dream, capitalist setting, your characters are the high achievers. Your characters are the people in the heavy-risk, heavy-reward professions, which is why very, very early on in the game, your characters end up fabulously wealthy your character will most likely by probably fifth or sixth level be carrying around more gold pieces worth of items than someone in your setting makes in their entire lifetime absolutely you are the equivalent of multi-millionaires fairly early in the game and by the end of the game you're you know creating a penis rocket to mm. get you up to above Earth's atmosphere for 10 seconds. Exactly. Just imagine yourself as magical exterminators where the rats end up being 10 feet tall and also, you know, werewolves. In a setting in which that profession is extremely well paid. Monsters usually either have treasure or they are guarding treasure. You might be there killing the monster to do some good. You might be there to save the town but you happen to also get rewarded for the good that you are doing. Um, we actually had a critique. We were thinking about this of the original Ghostbusters versus the new Ghostbusters. So the original Ghostbusters is a capitalist fantasy, which is they have a special skill set. They build a business. The business is successful. New Ghostbusters is not a capitalist fantasy. It's the opposite. 
at the end of the movie, the government is going to subsidize their services. So they're no longer charging people for their ghost extermination services. Well, D&D at its core is that original Ghostbusters that I'm going to kill a monster. I'm going to be expected to be rewarded. You can change your game so that it's not this capitalist. You can kind of get rid of the idea of wealth or change how the wealth is used. But the, but it is written into the game it's the it's one of the core conceits of the game and you see this in video games too all the time you loot the corpse so in real life if someone kills you and you kill them in self-defense you don't rifle through their pockets to get their shit speak for yourself if no one's looking like eh, why not yeah all all right that's fair but you shouldn't and you probably wouldn't in in D&D, it's like standard practice. These people have, or monsters typically, have attacked you, so they've given up their lives. Well, they happen to have also given up their loot, so you, like, loot the corpse. And you see this in tons and tons of video games that you mm-hmm. play. You're like, oh, I'm going to loot the corpse. This is the core conceit of the game, that D&D adventuring loop. You start adventure, you gather treasure... You end the adventure, you divide the spoil. So you're out there to get money. You are expected to go out and get wealth as a part of your adventure. And your DM can change this, but, I mean, it's in the rules. Tom, you're a big fan of older editions of the game. So how did gold work in those older editions? I know you mentioned it in the introduction a little bit, but talk us through how that worked in, like, the oldest, you know, uh, AD&D first edition stuff. The primary game loop in those editions was that you were getting gold, and when you retrieved it from a dungeon or dangerous location, you got XP for it, which then allowed you to level up and made you more powerful that way. This worked really well because it created a very tight gameplay loop. You go into the dangerous place, you extract the wealth, you get stronger, you can go back into a more dangerous place, get more wealth, and continue that process indefinitely. There were a lot more gold sinks in those earlier games because the gameplay loop also created a few problems, such as it was easy to accidentally give the players too much money or magic items, so you had things like permanent character death that you could later reverse with a large expenditure of money, level loss, your magic items might get destroyed and blown up. You know, it almost reminds me of the way that early video games were built before they had like save states and stuff. Oh yeah. Cuz they would they would make them just intentionally hard so it really rewarded skill, mm-hmm. right? So if your character dies, you're dead and you have to start over from the beginning. So with this too, it is intentionally difficult like a lot of the early traps and monsters and puzzles and a lot of the early D&D modules are not fair or even logical. No. <laughs> so you would just get totally screwed over um, <laughs> by, by, yeah. Imagine a 10-hit die Sierra game puzzle. <laughs> those, uh, they had some pitfalls in those early games like you open a door and the door eats you. Uh, you open the wrong door, the room is filled with lava. You listen at the door to try to surmise if the door is filled with lava and a worm crawls into your brain and kills you. You walk into uh, what appears to be a black room and instead just instantly vaporize yourself and in an orb of annihilation. <laughs> no real reason. No real yeah, primary like, reason. Like, no saving throw, nothing. Now, 
In contrast to this, let's talk about the middle editions of the game, D&D 3rd and 4th editions. 3rd edition, the simultaneously greatest and worst edition of the game. (laughs) He loves and hates the edition as he he loves loves and hates hates himself. himself. Anyway, (laughs) so... In those games, you had wealth by level charts. So the DM was basically expected to give you a certain amount of money at a certain level. Note that very few DMs we played with in our college days actually did this. Correct. But it was also assumed the players would have a certain number of magic items that would correlate to this to ensure the proper power level. Because it was all about calibrating the older rules into a more streamlined, elegant structure. I need, I need a different type of bonus to stack with my existing bonuses so I can hit that 35 AC, Tom. And actually, the problem in 3rd and 4th edition, or I guess it's a feature if you like your game that way, is that magic item shop feeling. You're expected to be able to sort of custom build or have your magic items custom built instead of sort of they're rare and wonderful and random. And so the math is very much built around, I'm going to get a huge amount of gold. I'm going to spend it on this plus five Vorpal sword. Yeah, like third edition was, like you said, it's it's the customize edition. Yeah. You have tons and tons and tons of feats that you can use to customize your character. You have all these items you can get. You have all these spells you can get. You have all these different splats. And there's and f- even rules for making your own magic items. Yeah. And Abusable fourth edition, rules. for better or worse, apes off of uh, MMOs, mm-hmm. which the primary way you get power in MMOs is to get better gear. And in fifth edition, that really changed where the math of the game is not balanced around the default assumption that you will get magic items, Mm -hmm. which creates an interesting problem, though, because it lacks that gold for experience, gold for leveling, lacks all those gold sinks from the older editions. But they're still giving it to you. They are still giving you probably less gold than third and fourth. I haven't really done like a side-by-side comparison, but yeah, you're still getting a ton of gold, but you're like, well, where the fuck am I supposed to spend this gold? Which kind of leads us to the big takeaway from this podcast, which is how you should manage your gold and your inventory in fifth edition. There are lots of probably tips and tricks that other people have We're just kind of going through the things that have worked for us because we assume that people listening to the podcast are probably newer players. So let's kind of work down the list. Number one tip. This is probably the biggest tip we can give you. Assign a damn treasurer. Every game we play, probably for the past 15 years, there's always one person whose job it is to kind of tally up what loot we've got Mm -hmm. and divide it up. This person should not be the GM. No, the GM should not have to do this. This should actually be the person that either has the best bookkeeping skills or that actually cares, which is something we'll visit later. There's usually one person in each group who kind of enjoys, like, tracking how much shit you have. Yeah, it's me. I like that. Um, Not even because I'm a super organized person in my own life. I'm really not. We'll talk about this a lot in part two of this podcast, but I actually enjoy that sort of expedition thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoy that idea of like you're managing a company or you're managing sort of a business. 
And so I actually like tracking treasure and that stuff. So I know probably the last, probably anytime you've played D&D with me, Jake, I've probably been the treasurer. That's usually my job. Yeah, I'd yeah. say that's fair. And I, I, I mean, I work at a bank. I'm a money person in real life. So like, yeah, I, I kind of like doing that stuff. And so another important part is if you are the treasurer, you should be tracking this stuff on a separate sheet of paper. Do not use your character sheet to track this. No. For and a don't couple just reasons. put it on the back of your character sheet. It's going to get confusing. And you do have to put in a little effort into keeping clear notes, too. Yeah. So if you put it on your character sheet, you're going to be writing and erasing and writing and erasing yep. and writing and erasing constantly. And you're going to wear through your character sheet fast. At some point. It's going to be messy and uh, you're going to forget things. Yep, absolutely. And at some point, Tom and I have talked about maybe we're going to put together like a party sheet. Tom's pretty good at document design. So we might put together a party sheet that's like, hey, track potions here. Mm-hmm. But absolutely, you need to kind of track that stuff. Also, you don't want any sort of uh, argument to happen over, oh, this is on the party uh, inventory sheet, right? No, that's my personal inventory. Ooh, this is Ooh. mine. You Rubs didn't say you were taking together. that item. Blah, 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 blah. Ooh. That actually segues perfectly into our next point, which is the party fund. Yes. Where did we start doing this? Is this from me or is this from other games we've played? I cannot remember where we started doing this. Well, like a lot of things, this is from you being a bossy asshole. Uh, Yes, our entire marriage is built around me being a bossy asshole. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Anyway, the idea is the party fund. You donate shares of the treasure when you're dividing it at the end of the adventure to the party fund for party-wide expenses. So if you need to bribe a guard or buy a cart for party goods, the party fund. I thought you were going to say buy a whore there for a minute. (laughs) Yeah, the whole party's going to share the whore. It's going to be a good night. And you do a roll-off to see who goes first. (laughs) What? I want to roll-off to see who goes last. (laughs) And also, if you have something like a res expense, you don't have to be like, Sorry, Steve, you've only got 4,999 gold. We can't afford that rest And you're for not you. here to adventure to get it, so mm. I guess your character's just gone. Speak with dead and have your corpse sign a contract. Yeah. You're going to owe me if I res you. Yep. If you like that expedition style we talked about and you want hirelings, that's a great place to... Um, draw it from is from the Mm -hmm. party fund some i mean some characters too like are going to spend their money faster yeah absolutely right so if you if you want everybody to contribute equally to something that's going to help the party but bumblefuck the rogue over here gambles away his loot constantly yeah he does like He's not going to be contributing anything until unless you take a party share out before he has a chance to fritter it all away. So our recommendation is two shares of treasure, one share for each of the party members and then two shares for the party fund. So you have this nice little nest egg built up. But it should also be said, you kind of have to trust that your thief is not stealing the whole party fund or that the party treasurer is not stealing from the party fund. That's a different issue. But yes, in general, just because your character would do it does not justify your player doing it. So if I'm playing a sniveling asshole who would steal from the party, that does not mean that Ryan acting as party treasurer gets to steal from the party. Like 
there's a there's so realistically the, the party not, treasurer role is outside of yes, the game entirely out of you character. might be tracking it but you're not necessarily the character who's carrying the gold that around. is exactly correct and you don't have to even role play that like you don't have to go well gee we have nobody here we would trust so we don't have a party fund just kind of take care of that behind the scenes the last thing we're going to talk about is spending that gold. Make it rain. Make it rain. Where would your characters spend their money? Hookers and blow. Hookers and blow is a valid way to spend that money. It's like moon blow or elf blow or whatever the hell it is, but you're spending money uh, on that blow. Skuma, moon sugar. Skuma. I remember that. Khajiit has wares if you have skuma. Khajiit has wares if you have the coin. A few things that we think you should spend money on, and you have to kind of work out what your character is adventuring for and what you would want to spend your money on. And you can't just go to the old magic item shop in most 5e games. So the first thing is lifestyle expenses. One of my biggest pet peeves in role-playing games is when characters who otherwise would want the tip-top that life has to offer are subsisting on... The free rations that the guy with the survivalist background gets, like the free foraging, and taking the cheapest room. He's got like 100 gold in his belt pouch, but eats salted meat and hardtack. But realistically speaking, and we talked about this, if we were all on an adventure and Jake's the ranger, and I'm wealthy beyond imagining, which is I've got a couple thousand gold pieces in my pocket, and Jake forages some squirrels on a stick, I'm not fucking eating squirrels on a stick. I didn't fucking adventure and risk my life to eat squirrel on a stick, nor to get bed bugs in the cheapest inn. Like, it doesn't make sense. I'm just gonna eat that processed city food. I'd eat that fucking processed city food now. What the fuck are you talking about? You don't know what to put in that shit. If you like, if you were like, Ryan, do you want to... There could be cockroaches in that pie. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's a lot healthier than your squirrel on a stick that you got in the park, Jake. So, realistically, if your character has a wealthy background or you're a rogue who is pursuing a life of being wealthy after being a street urchin... You're buying the good food. You're buying the good room at the inn. And realistically, they're not actually that expensive because, again, you're fabulously wealthy. So I will say one last thing on this. Um, At least for myself, sometimes I don't even think of it, right? Yeah. Like like role playing that my character is living a lavish lifestyle. I don't actually care. I just want to kill shit or I just want to be invested in like the quest that we're doing, the story. Um, so I like the way that, um, pillars of eternity does it where, Oh yeah. You get bonuses. Yeah. 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 So when you're, when you're resting, you can pay extra money for better food. Or if you have the raw ingredients, you can make better food. So it kind of builds in lifestyle expense and the, the better the food is, the more you spend, you get like a long-term bonus Mm -hmm. until your next rest. And I think that's a really clever way of getting people to pay out so i am okay with that it might be hard to do in D D though it, it would be a little bit hard you'd have to write a whole system for it but i would also say some of that is on the gm mm-hmm. and jamming is a very difficult task you've got a lot of plates that you're spinning at once but i would say it's up to the gm to describe like how gross the dungeon moss and slugs you have foraged are. And I think it's up to the GM to kind of be like, 
What quality of room are you getting? Okay, well, the blankets are itchy and the pillow sucks, so good luck. Oh, what kind of room are you getting? Oh, it's this lavish room with a feather bed. You get magically resistant lice from the pillow. Mm-hmm. Good luck getting rid of that, wizard. Super bugs. <laughs> Fuck you. Fuck you, wizard. So, I get what you're saying, and maybe one day we'll even work on a system like that, but in general, I think some of that is a role-playing thing. The last game we actually played, we were playing, like, ourselves sucked into a fantasy world. Well, yeah, a recent yeah. game anyway. And I was constantly like, yeah, I'm eating the best food, you know, I didn't get this fat not eating good food. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> Another thing that might be worth spending your money on is servants and hirelings. This is another thing that I don't like. When your characters are tr- have enough money to buy horses and you're suddenly leaving your horses outside of the dungeon, who's watching the horses? Why are you traveling and sharpening your own weapons and cleaning mending, your own armor, mending your own shit. Why wouldn't you hire someone to do all of that? Which actually we have some sidekick classes we have come up with uh, that we are going to be releasing playtests for. And one of them is the camp master. That is that character that is responsible for taking care of camp. Why wouldn't you hire people to do that if you're ridiculously wealthy? Everybody should have a squire. There should be like a team servant. There should be a whole army of people at camp taking care of you because you're so rich. Mm -hmm. There should be a dozen level one men at arms that you will send into the dungeon beforehand to check for traps. Exactly. Exactly. And the one who comes back gets a second gold piece for the day. Oh my god, you've saved so much money. So that kind of depends on the kind of campaign you want to run. If you're just kind of doing that sort of superhero, we run to the other edge of town, we don't worry about how long it takes, we're just there to do our fights and our role-playing, it may not be worth it to have servants. It kind of depends on if you like doing it. But there is a reason people have assistants and servants in real life, and it's because those things are fucking awesome to hire. I would hire a fucking servant if I could. Wait, isn't that what Tom's for? (laughs) Fair enough. The most costly servant of all. So there are additional systems in place in 5th edition where you can also dispense of your gold. Xanathar's Guide introduces downtime activities where you can seek out magic items. Uh, I'm sure they... I don't even remember what the whole system is, but... Um, They have a lot of different activities that you can do. Actually, one of them that I do think is cool is that you can spend money looking for magical items. I don't recommend using the crafting your own magic item system. It gets broken very easily, very fast. But they have something where you can like roll randomly for what you find. That's a good way to sink gold. There are some other activities in there. I would definitely check it out if you're interested in what your characters do in their downtime. You're looking for a way to spend some money. Absolutely. And then as part of the role-playing aspect, you need to figure out why your PCs want the money. Because they obviously become adventurers for some reason. And this is a big one, and it's actually probably where most of your money should go. Why is your character adventuring? Um, GMs incorporate why they want that money into the story, and make it something that is recurring that they can see consistent progress on mm-hmm. endless possibilities here you can build your own keep that's something that matt Koval did a book called strongholds of followers the first D campaign that we played uh you guys were basically tasked with 
securing this old keep and yeah. repairing it. So that would have been, if we had finished it, yeah. that would have been the big money sink for that campaign. The last one we all played, we found a keep and we decided to kind of turn it into like a strip mall with like mini businesses. <laughs> you know, you can come up with your own system for what things cost, but I will say that is something that there are some systems out there for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's that's definitely something you need to GMs will need to work with the players on mm-hmm. because you're either going to have to present a story hook where the characters need to acquire a lot of money yeah. and have that story hook be interesting to the players or you need to sit down with them and be like, OK, you have all this money. What do you want to do with that and work with them on developing some goals? Absolutely. Charities. Charities are a huge one. Especially so, for paladins and clerics. Paladins and clerics. Put There's an orphanage in town. The cleric donates a thousand gold pieces to the orphanage. They come back. The orphanage is super pimped out. Not the orphans. The orphanage <laughs> is pimped out. It's super cool looking and shiny. And, you know, show to the players. It's got fresh paint. Show them that their money mattered. Um, mm-hmm. You donate 5000 to the Church of Paylor, and suddenly everybody's converted because the Church of Paylor is super awesome. I'm trying to think of other good charities. But absolutely, characters can give to charity. But you need to make it not feel like it's just money vanishing into the ether. Like, make that shit feel consistent. Um, it also adds new story elements, too. Yeah. Oh, someone stole your charitable donation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we're going to track that bitch down. Yeah, they stole the money that I chose to give to you. I'm going to fuck them up. That's doubly bad, bitches. Uh, Tom had a character who, it, for our upcoming game, Tom has a character whose whole thing is his village is poor. So he's sending money back to his wife and children. Absolutely. I'll tell you if that goes on, that's going to be a recurring theme of how wealthy your your village and your wife are getting. That's totally fun. He's so, unhappy at how thin his wife is getting. Mm. So you can even start businesses. Um, partying is absolutely something that you could sink a lot of money into. So you can do like, what does a thousand gold piece party look like? fucking sweet is how mm-hmm. a gold, thousand gold piece party looks so if your rogue is like nouveau riche and trying to figure out how to handle money i assume all rogues are urchins at this point if they're nouveau riche they're trying to figure out how to spend their money they throw a bomb ass thousand gold piece party and you can even use that as a plot hook like monsters attack your party other rogues attack your party you are being really uncreative with all this like why does the rogue have to be throwing parties constantly why can't he have an academic background and he funds the academy because he's like an indiana jones style or maybe he funds the orphanage because he can you know get you know gang members right he can like siphon off some of his own artful dodgers okay well it's not the paladin that's throwing cool parties so that's exactly i'm making a good point what are you talking about why wouldn't the paladin throw a cool party because he gave all his money to the orphanage weren't you listening (gasps) convert to my religion look at we're having a paylor show what if he's a a paladin of like a sex goddess or something i don't think there are paladins of sex goddesses But there are clerics of sex goddesses. They can contribute their money to the temple whores and get better whores in there. My holy oath is to spread my seed far and wide. My holy oath is to spread my venereal disease far and wide. I'm a paladin of Nurgle. I will use my sword on as many women as possible. (laughs) Um, 
Uh, you can also spend your money on laboratories and academies. <laughs> Lots of places you can spend your money on that aren't gross. <laughs> Lots more that you can that are gross, though. That's where the game's going. Just accept it. Yep. So those are sort of the end of our suggestions. Just something to think about how you want your players to spend their money, how you want your characters to spend their money. Part two, we're going to discuss inventory management for your character. And then part three, we're going to move on to the mighty pack mule. Thank you for listening to the Helpful NPCs podcast. For more content, check us out at HelpfulNPCs.com. If you have any feedback or requests for topics, you can reach us at info at HelpfulNPCs.com. 